right, good morning. I'm so happy to see you all today. It's nice to be here. Uh, thank you to TJ and, uh, well, TJ, because TJ preached while I was gone. So thank you, TJ, for preaching while I was gone. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, being able to go away with my wife for our 20th was awesome, and so it's super awesome to come back and see you, though. While I was on vacation, uh, I got to go fishing. I'm not a fisherman. Uh, I'm not a person who is like, hey, Steve, come and fish with me. I'm not that guy. Uh, there are several other guys that are, are, are very much like that, and I'm really excited about that. Luther Sly is one of them. Dale Hilton had a whole, or people, invited people out to go squidding with them at uh, Edmonds Beach yesterday, and I'm like, okay, that's, that doesn't sound fun at all. But you know, if you do, like, awesome, that's excellent. But when I was on vacation, there was this idea, this opportunity to go, to go out saltwater fishing, and I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Why not? How many times in my life do I get to go out here and do this? And so we went fishing, and Carla and I were on this boat together. It was really small by ourselves, and, and we're fishing uh, for tuna, black tuna. And black tuna fish in a completely different way than evidently other tuna do. They, they school up on the top, and you can see all of the tuna out there on the top as they're just ca- trying to chase all of the feeder fish. And it was so much fun to look around and go, look at all these fish. And then it was so discouraging realizing they were not taking my bait. We, we circled, and we circled, and we circled, and we tried, and they wouldn't, they didn't take. Now, I, I did catch some fish earlier, and that was fun, that was exciting, but when we're talking about this, the reason I bring it up isn't to say, look at how cool it is that I get to go on vacation and go fishing, although that was cool. When we go fishing for people, like we have been challenged and, and commissioned by Jesus to do, when we go fishing for people, fish don't always take the bait. But you put it out there, and you keep putting it out there, and you keep putting it out there, and you keep putting it out there, because one day, or one time, that fish is going to strike, and then it's on. And you start reeling and reeling and reeling, now I'm at the end of my fish metaphors. But this is exactly what we're talking about through this entire series. Jesus has said, go fish for people. Go fish for people. Matthew the book that we're reading through right now, or we're studying in Matthew chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 4. As we're walking through this, Matthew, the author of this book, is writing to Jewish people who know God's promises for his people and that there is a coming Messiah. And so with this in mind, and with this audience in mind, he begins to write and specifically direct his attention to say, this is who Jesus is, the fulfillment of all of these promises. The fulfillment of all of these promises. God's promises to send this rescuing Messiah for his people. At the end of Matthew chapter, Matthew, uh, chapter 28, in the end of Matthew, he wraps it all up by saying, this rescuing Messiah now rescues us and sends us to go fish for people. So that's the whole backdrop of why we are going through this here today. Jesus has said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to believe all that I've taught you. And I'm going to be with you all the way to the very, very end. As we looked at this a few weeks ago and started a few weeks ago before I went on vacation, we looked at the very first temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew chapter 4 is the, the context we're looking at and how we fish for people because how Jesus responds and interacts inside this chapter gives us an incredible view at how to go fishing for humans. <laughs> for, that sounds weird. For, for people. For people. Matthew chapter 3, though, Jesus starts out with this. He's being baptized in obedience to what God the Father has said, I want you to do. He gets baptized by a guy named John the Baptist, and after his baptism, he rises in, in, in chapter 3, verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and setting on him. And, the vo- and a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. This is kind of the culmination of all of this movement up to chapter 4, this moment of God declaring who Jesus is, proclaiming his identity, you are my son, I love you, I'm pleased with you. These three things are exactly what Satan attempts to attack here in chapter 4, and these attacks that he has, these temptations that he gives to Jesus are the things that he tempts you and me with as well. All humanity has had to face these challenges that Jesus faces. The first one that we looked at was this temptation, Jesus, go and make bread out of these rocks. He's been hungry, he's been fasting for 40 days out in the wilderness, he's been by himself, and at the end of this, after, if, I've never gone hungry for 40 days, uh, but I can imagine if you got to the end of 40 days, you'd be like, I'm going to eat my foot, right? So Jesus comes to the end of these 40 days, and t- Satan tempts him and says, if, God is, if you are who God says he, you are, then turn these stones into bread. This context, this temptation of provide for yourself, Jesus. God has, the Father has failed you. He hasn't provided for you. You've been on your own for 40 days. You, you are all by yourself. You need to step up and provide for you. And so we looked at this context of like fishing for people in the, in the lake of self-made people. People who have said, I'm going to take this idea God has not provided. God has not come through, and I'm going to make a way for myself. I'm going to have this doubt that, that Satan tempts me with. This if, if you are God's son. If Satan loves to get into our head and, and sow doubt into our hearts. If. Really? Did Jesus really? Are you really? Are you really a follower of Jesus? Are you good? Are you bad? Like if, if, if you were a Christian, would you have done that? Oh, a few of you are with me. <laughs> the rest of you, you'll come along. In, in rebuttal to Satan's temptation, Jesus resists temptation by quoting what is true. God will provide. It may not feel like it right now. I'm hungry. I'm really hungry. But God is going to do what God says he's going to do. Satan, God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Today we're going to transition, we're going to get into, next, into temptation number two. We find this in verse five and seven of chapter four, where it goes like this. The devil, after this moment of trying to t- get Jesus to turn rocks into bread, the devil takes him to the, ho- to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say... 
He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now, I grew up in church. I've grown up around these stories my whole life, and this one is perplexing. I'm like, what? I, I, I'm, uh, I've gone cliff jumping. I won't do it again. Uh, and so, like, no, it hurts, right? So I look at this, and I'm like, I don't understand what's going on here. My whole growing up moment was like, try, how do I identify with what's going on here? What's happening here? So let's explore this for a moment, because perhaps you've been like me, and you're looking like this. What, what is really happening here? Why, why would this even be tempting? In this temptation, this, uh, this is different from the first round that Satan has gone through. But Satan starts with the same doubt statement, just coming from a different angle. If you are the Son of God, Jesus has just said, I am. God will provide. This is who God says I am. I'm going to stand on that. God says he's going to provide. He will provide. Okay, so, so Jesus, if you are really, if that's who you say you are and that's who you are, maybe we'll come at it from this angle. Jesus has stood firm on his identity and Satan says, if you're correct, then you'd be able to jump off this high spot and the angels will catch you because that's what the Bible says. That's out of Malachi, actually. If you're the son of God, you should prove it. If you're the son of God, you should prove it. Prove it for me. Prove it. Now, in our kind of context, proving it is a playground challenge, right? Where we have to throw down, we have to like come up, okay, well, this is all right. Double dog dare, triple dog dare. We're getting into the Christmas story season. We triple dog dare you. If you're God's son, you should prove it. Jump. Jump. Satan's challenge may not seem uh, like all that much on the surface. Jump. But that is because Satan's logic makes sense to us. Why does, Satan logic, why does Satan's logic make sense to us? Because we believe that what Satan has said is correct. <laughs> now all of you are like, what? Let me explain. Christian logic. You come to church. You hang out in church for any amount of time. We bring in the exact same kind of perspective of the rest of the world in this kind of way. Christian logic in sharing good news and sharing who Jesus is would be very much like this. Get a famous person to share Jesus and the platform to be able to share who Jesus is is expanded. You get a famous person to get up here on the stage. If I got someone to come up here who had more name recognition than me, that's not hard. Get somebody up here on the stage that had more name recognition than me, talk about Jesus, all of us be like, what? We look for athletes, actors, musicians, politicians, self-made people, people who have made a way for themselves. Get them up on stage, get them to talk about Jesus, and somebody's going to go, I better pay attention. So we have the Kanye Wests. The Justin Biebers, the Selena Gomez's, the Russell Wilson's, the Tim Tebow's. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm saying this is the mentality. This is the logic. Jump. 
Jesus, it'll make you famous. Can you imagine, Jesus, if you jumped and you just kind of went, because the angels caught you, and you went, in the temple, the highest point, people are watching. Wouldn't it be amazing? Imagine, imagine, Jesus, the like, of the people. They would be hanging on your every word. Who can do stuff like that? Who can make stuff like that happen? Jesus, you should jump. Imagine the notoriety that you will gain in one moment. Angels will catch you. It will validate your identity. You're God's son because no one else can do that. People will follow you, Jesus. Satan offers Jesus bait that most of humanity takes without question. If I was more famous, if I was more notorious, imagine, maybe not notorious, that's a, like maybe the opposite of what I'm talking about. If I was more amazingly awesome, people would be like, I'm paying attention. And imagine the good I could do if I just got my name out there. Don't you want to be famous? It's what Satan is begging. Don't you want to be famous? Don't you want to go through life with some sort of like accomplishment, like moment of like, oh, there's them. There they go. Look at that person. So amazing. <sighs> I used to think that I was above this. I've been here for 20 years and uh, and, and I used to think that, you know, anybody could walk in here and I'd be like, oh, it's just a person. It's just a person. Uh, then one day, uh, uh, I'm into UFC fighting, and I really, really like watching people get bloodied. I know it's a problem, but I like it. And, uh, and way back in the day, uh, Randy Couture, one of the biggest fighters in UFC, he walked in and he sat right over there where Gary is sitting. And I went... <laughs> and I walked up to him and did what every stupid person does. I'm such a big fan. Oh, I guess I learned something about myself. I'm not above this. I used to think, no, 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 it's not that important to me. And discovered a very, very significant moment of clarity. No, no, I have, I have grabbed a hold of this. Don't you want to be famous? Don't you want to be somebody special? Don't you want people to recognize you as somebody who's amazing? Imagine how much good you could do if people looked up to you like you're special. The challenge is, is that this desire for fame or for popularity or whatever else we want to describe it as, this desire to be recognized, notable. These moments, this desire is a trap. It's sourced from this insecurity in our identity. I must receive outside validation from people to determine that I am valuable. I must get this outside validation that others think that I am who I think that I am. Or others think that I'm better than I think that I am because I'm one of those kinds of people. 
I must have this outside validation is what this desire for fame and popularity has. I must have this validation to describe for myself that I am worth something, that I am valuable. Satan wants to divert yours and my attention away from God and who God says that we are. Satan wants to say, take our attention and go, no, you got to look at it from Kevin's perspective. Does Kevin think you're special? Oh. Does Megan think you're special? Because if you can't get Kevin and Megan, you got nothing. Satan wants to divert our attention away from who God says we are and make us depend on the validation of others for our value, which is a problem because once you get somebody to say, good job, you have to keep on doing it. But not only just doing whatever you did, you have to do better than you just got done doing for them to say, you're doing great still. Otherwise, it's kind of like, eh, we've seen this before. We get bored. But Satan gets us stuck in this performance trap of saying, I must get somebody to say, Steve, you're worth something. You're worth something. I must repeat all of these attentions over and over. And this can be really, really de de destructive when you put a stage here and you're like, Steve, you've got to get up every single week and every single Sunday. You've got to do better than you did the week before. That sounds like hell. But this is what we do to ourselves. Maybe it's just under, like, on steroids here on a stage. Fame screams, pay attention to me. Validate me. Validate me. It's begging all the time, say something nice about me. Tell me that I'm worth it. Uh... Jim Carrey, I'm sorry, I totally destroyed a baby's life right there. I, it, was, it was a bad move on my part. I'm sorry. Sorry, Natalie. Jim Carrey said one, one time, he was like, I really hope that everybody gets everything that they wanted, everything that they hoped for to discover that it was all worthless. So even as a person who has a lot of attention and a lot of people paying attention realizing it's, it's, it's a trap. It's just this cycle of never-ending doom. You can never feed this monster enough. Fame screams, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. So Satan says, jump! It'll be spectacular. People will notice you. People will follow you. That's why you're here, isn't it, Jesus? Isn't, this is how the world works. Isn't this how you, why you're here? For people to notice, pay attention, and follow you? You should jump. In trying to communicate to Jesus all the rationale for why his idea works so well, Satan quotes Scripture a couple different times. He quotes out of Malachi and this common idea that, that God's, say, God's promised Messiah could jump and these angels would never would catch him. He would, he, would, he would appear in this amazing kind of perspective. Satan now pulls out Psalm 91, this amazing chapter about God's promises for those people who call God uh, his, uh, the primary person in their life. 
Satan takes Psalm 91, these promises about how God protects his people, and he twists it and tries to solidify his twisted logic, and he says this for Jesus. God promises that you won't be harmed. If you're God's son, God promises you won't be harmed, Jesus. You won't be harmed. Now I love Psalm 91. It's fun and it's exciting to think and to understand and to realize how much God cares for us. But there's a broken way of looking at Psalm 91. And many people do it. This idea that God owes me something. God owes me. Because I have said yes to God, God now owes me because... I said yes. Which, if we look at it from even from the context of this service, uh, when Gretchen said uh, how 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 much we've been forgiven, and how the person who love has been, who those who have been forgiven much love much, this moment we come into this perspective and twist it around and say, "No, God owes me." Instead of I've been forgiven and that is bonus all by itself, and I need nothing else. Now we twist it and say, no, God owes me a whole lot. I better be able to live in this fantastically large gated community. I better be able to drive in this two-door red sports car. If you have a two-door red sports car, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like call you out. That's cool. Whatever it is, I must be able to drive this amazing vehicle. I must be able to have this amazing stuff. I must be able to go on all these exotic trips or places. God owes me abundance. God owes me. So this is the way we can take Psalm 91, and people have done this. It's called prosperity theology. This idea that if you believe in God and if you follow God, God will give you your wildest dreams. I would say this this morning. This is exactly what Satan is proposing to Jesus. This thought, this process, this underlying thing is exactly what Jesus is being offered by Satan. God says, you're not going to get hurt. You can jump off cliffs, Steve, and it's not going to hurt. No, it did. (laughs) Steve, if you follow Jesus, you're not going to get cancer. Then how come I got it? This philosophy tries to manipulate God through selfish demands. God must come through in the way that I demand, or he isn't who he says he is. Can I just punch the brakes for a second here and say, uh, what? That is messed up. Because if I'm demanding that God comes through for me, how I want him to, or he isn't who he says he is, who's in the driver's seat in this space? Me. I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the one who's the boss. I'm the one who says how things go. I'm the one who says this is what's going to happen. And if God, you're really who you say you are, you're going to do whatever I want. That sounds a lot like God's my puppet. Satan is inviting Jesus to assert his desires based on the insecurity 
on an insecurity on who he is. Jesus, if you are God's son, if you are who you say you are, if this is all true, if these things are possible, if this is what's going on, then Jesus, you should do this. God will be like this. So how does Jesus respond to these moments, this temptation that Satan is offering Jesus to rescue himself that God might not provide, that God would have to do exactly what he says he wants? How does Jesus respond? Verse 7, the scriptures also say, Jesus says, you must not test the Lord your God. You know, as a response to these things, it kind of perplexed me again. Like, this is a really weird thing to say in my head. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6 here about the Jewish exodus out of Egypt. This this country, million people plus people, traveling across the desert after being rescued from slavery in Egypt. They're traveling to the promised land that God wants them to be at. And as they're traveling around, they're in the middle of this wilderness and they have run out of food, and they have run out of water, and they are thirsty, and they are hungry. And if you've ever been around a child, or you've been around yourself, when you get hangry, or when they, people complain, right? I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I left my water down there next to Gretchen, and my mouth is paying for it. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I want these things. No, you don't, you don't have to bring it up to me. That's fine. <laughs> so the Israelites get to this place called Massa. The Israelites are thirsty in the middle of this wilderness and they demand that God prove that he is who he says he is by providing them water in the middle of a waterless place. That doesn't sound very smart if you're like at God's mercy to demand that God do something for you, but this is exactly what the Israelites do. And and they come to Moses, the leader of the Exodus, and they demand that God provide. And God goes, or Moses goes to God and says, God, what am I supposed to do? And God says, go to that rock and whack it with your stick. So he goes and rock, smacks this rock with his stick, and water comes gushing out and provides water for all of these people. But God's not very stoked about this. He provides, because his people need it, But he's demonstrating something here, and it's been over and over and over repeated throughout the Jewish history and throughout our Bible. This moment of testing God is not very smart. Don't push this button. Don't push this button. God is not stoked when you go, you better do it my way. God isn't pleased by this demand and the lack of trust that the Israelites show. So Jesus says, quoting Deuteronomy, the lesson that's learned, do not test the Lord your God. Will God provide? Yes or no? Don't force him. That'd be kind of like me as a cancer patient saying, no, I'm not going to accept treatment. Because if I'm a Christian, God will provide. Unfortunately, I've known people like this. And they're dead. And it hurts. It sucks. Forcing God to prove himself to you or through you shows what's true about you or me, not him. It shows us that we don't trust him with us. 
I'm not saying cancer is awesome. I'm not saying that. Cancer sucks. But it shows when I say, no, you got to do it my way. I don't trust God with my life, even if it ends with me dying. We frequently lie to ourselves about ourselves. Have you realized this? I find myself lying to myself a lot. And usually it's my wife who calls me on it. But when your wife or your husband isn't present, or your kids, because kids are also really good at pointing out those moments, our actions end up demonstrating for ourselves and others what we really believe is true. You want to know what you really believe versus what you say you believe to yourself? Just watch how you live. Why did I do that? Because I don't believe this, that I say I believe. We frequently lie to ourselves and our actions demonstrate for ourselves and others what we believe is true. Jesus' response to Satan here says, I trust the Father to accomplish through me what he wants. Forcing what I want is counterproductive. I will not force God's way. God gets to use me how he wants to use me, and I'm not going to make him do what I want. I'm not going to jump at this fame thing. I'm not going to jump at this popularity thing. I'm not going to try and get people to pay attention. I'm not going to try and make God's will happen for him. I'm going to be used by God. I'm not going to try and make God work. So let's get down to the end of this. Right down to the end here right now. How do we fish for people? Because that's what we've been challenged to do. That's what we've been commissioned to do. Go and make disciples. I will teach you how to fish for people. It's something we're going to come to here later in chapter 4. How do we fish for people who are caught up in the lake of fame and popularity? How do we fish for people that are believing that fame and popularity is the most important things? We get to tell the truth. It's dead and it's a dead end and un of unending insecurity. Do you really want that? It's a dead end. You're always going to have to keep on going. That sounds like the rat race. It sounds like that camp hamster wheel. It's a dead end of unending insecurity. We get to tell the truth. God provides exactly what you need. You don't have to work this hard anymore. You don't have to keep on trying to go like this over and over. We get to tell the truth that Jesus secures my identity and I don't need anyone else's affirmation. Can I, can I just challenge you for a moment here, being on stage? I, I have struggled with being a people pleaser for the majority of my life. Uh, can you imagine when I, when I try and make Megan happy and Kevin happy and they say, yay, you're doing a good job, but then I get over to JJ, and JJ's like, meh. Now let's expound that over 300 people. Uh, you can never make anyone happy. So, for me, I've had to grab a hold of a very significant truth. Some of you are just not going to be happy with me. And some of you are going to be happy with me. But I, either way, I don't need your affirmation. I have all the affirmation I need because Jesus has said, you're my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. And if JJ doesn't dig it, well then, 
forget JJ. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> he doesn't say that. It's this security moment of saying, I don't need, I don't need affirmation. But you know what? Sometimes affirmation is kind of nice. You know what? Thanks. But I've got what I need. And when I don't get it, the world hasn't fallen apart. And when I do get it, I haven't hit a mountaintop. I've got what I need. Jesus has given me all that I need. I don't need anything else. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. It gives me security in my identity. I already have all the acceptance I need. And then I get to be able to live this out. I get to live these truths out. I don't need acceptance. Have you bumped into a person who truly lives out this idea in, an, in a positive way? I'm not talking about in a jerk way. I'm talking about a positive way, where they live out, I don't need your approval. That is a kind of weird person, if you're being really honest. That person stands out like a sore thumb, don't they? Why? Because everybody else is begging for approval. Give me some affirmation. Affirm, affirm me, affirm me, affirm me. And you get one person who's like, I don't need it. What? Why? You get to live out the, I don't need this approval. It gives you an opportunity to be able to declare what's true because you're living it out. There's this amazing moment of freedom that we experience not having to please everyone because God's acceptance is enough. There's an amazing moment of freedom to be like, everything that I do now, I can do it for free. I don't need to do this to get Gretchen to say, yay. I don't need to not do this to get Kevin to be like, good job, man. I get to do whatever I do, and I get to do it for free. I'm free. I'm going to do the best job I can because of who's rescued me. But I'm going to do this for free. The weight is off. The pressure is off. I don't need to make and force God to perform. So when I'm fishing for people, just like when I'm fishing now for black tuna, evidently, and you're trolling around and around and around and around and around and around, and they're not biting, come back out tomorrow. I'll do it on a different day, but I'm not going to change. I've got all the acceptance that I need. And one day, one day, I'm going to be living out that I'm accepted by Jesus. And I'm going to be living for free. And someone's going to come up and be like, what is going on? Gotcha. <laughs> Jesus is amazing. And he gives you the opportunity to live for free. This morning, as we end, I want to draw your attention to a couple things. In the back of the seat in front of you, there's this gone fishing card. You, my brothers and my sisters, have been challenged by Jesus to make disciples. This is what I'm asking you to do. I would love for you to take three names, people who are involved in your life right now, who you have the ability to live out what is true, to demonstrate the truth of God's good word. 
and say, Jesus, I would really love it if you would use me to fish for these people this week. And I would love for you to take that card home with you, put it somewhere where you will remember, and if there are family members that you are you asking God to, to use in your life, maybe put it in some place that's a little bit more private. Otherwise, put it somewhere where you will see it all the time. Jesus, help me, help me to reach these people. Help me to fish for these people this week. The last thing that I want to ask you to do is on the back of this back of the room there are these this is my story places I used to think I didn't have a good story but Jesus has given me freedom in ways that I never dreamed possible because I believe what is true it frees me to be who God has wanted me to be and it gives me an amazing story when I get to be able to be around anyone else I get to fish for people who are stuck in a, in a in lakes of being self-made or lakes of being a lake of fame and popularity. I get to say my story. I would love for you today to take this challenge from me. Would you please write down your story? This is how this is who I was. This is what God saved me from. This is what this is who I used to be and because of Jesus I am now this. I would love for you to take that and put it on these boards. You don't have to put your name down if you don't want to. But I would love to have you put their, your story out on these boards because it's an encouragement to everybody else as they're walking by and saying, I've had a real dumpy week. Satan's been attacking me with all of these ifs. I need some encouragement. Would you be willing to be an encouragement to somebody this week? Write down your story and say, this is my story. You can put it on these boards so that we can read it together and be like, God is good. Look at what God does. Because God does good work. Amen? You want to change the world? Stop getting hooked by Satan when he baits you to find value in other people's acceptance. You want to change the world? Stop valuing how others, others by how famous or how many number of Facebook friends or Instagram followers or how many people know their name or what they've accomplished. Stop valuing people because of these things. Stop performing to gain approval of others because you're all, you already have all the approval you need. You want to change the world? Tell the truth. Jesus provides all the identity, security I need, and God uses me to make a difference in the world the way that he wants, not the way that I or others want. And God, you can use me. You can put me wherever you want. You can send me wherever you want. This, my brothers and sisters, is confidence. Everyone I have ever met wants confidence. Everyone I've ever met wants to be confident. Truly, deeply, foundationally confident. And almost everyone that I've ever met is trying to answer that confidence in some other superficial, short-lasting way. This, my brothers and sisters, is the stuff that changes everything. This morning I want to close with prayer and I'm going to invite the elders to come up, Darren and Ian, uh, who are here. Uh, we got some exciting news, but why don't we pray this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to share your good news story. 
God, I pray that as, as we live this good news story, as we live these things out, that you would give us opportunities to tell the truth, to speak what is true. You give us approval. You provide. God, we can depend and trust in you because of how good you are. I don't have to force it. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to control. God, I can trust you. You do good work because you've done good work in me. Lord, I pray that you would use us this week to fish for people who desperately need you and are trying to answer their need with fame, with popularity, with something that is really superficial. Lord Jesus, I pray that people would be rescued because of your using us. In your name we pray. Everybody said?